Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. You have the Bible. You can open it to Psalm 69. We're going to read some things out of the contemplations of David. Um, Wow, I'm getting a bunch of messages of people that are joining the fast. Come on, praise God. Uh, Amazing. I'm trying to jump in and see if there's... Oh man, Luke from the UK, bless you, bro. Carol, we love you. Excited to see you guys. Nick, my man. I'm Marielle, you and Pastor Ronell are amazing. We're going to look at Psalm 69. Because I believe that there are some things here for us on the eve of jumping into what is a 40-day journey. Let's just go ahead and start this way. 40 days is a long time. There's no easy way to break it up. Um, There's no great encouraging way to think about it that's going to simplify it and make it super easy in the way that we consider it. Um, Four 10-day periods... Is hard. Um, five eight day periods is hard. Um, two 20 day periods is hard. Um, a 30 and a 10, a 21 and a 19, ho- however it is that you are attempting to calculate the journey of 40 days in a way to take something that is seemingly overwhelming and bring it into a much simpler package to make it easier to attain, it's just not there. 40 days is a long time, and nobody is trying to pretend like 40 days is not a long time. Um, Anybody that has fasted, anybody that has fasted for quite some time, especially to those who maybe have ventured out into what we would consider to be longer fasts, um, 10 days, 21 days, 30 days, 40 days, you realize that a day is like a thousand years. Uh, It's just the nature of it. Um, Things seem to very much so slow down. And then in other ways, things seem to accelerate and become more aggressive. Uh, It's just the nature of the journey. Um, But the beauty of the journey is not found in the completion of it alone. Uh, The beauty of the journey is that it is unto a man that is alive from the dead. Jesus is real, that he is alive, that he is available, he is accessible, and he awaits, and he woos, he lures, he romances, he touches deeply and stirs and provokes Um, those of us whose hearts are just so easily prone to wander. We're so prone to wander in doing our own thing. We're so prone to wander in maybe doing the thing 
that culture around us or the systems of this age or all of the attractive glimpses and toys of the world tells us we should be doing. Our hearts are so prone to wander and to desire and to engage so many other things. You know it's true. You know it's real. The conditioning of our culture so much of the world's appetizers and all of its tricks and treats and toys are constantly bombarding us, telling us this is the way. This is what you should be doing. Engage this. Anchor your life here. Chase these things. Make a name for yourself this way. Empty your life here. This is the world's conditioning. It's the system, the structure of this age. But the Bible tells us that it will fade, it will pass, it will go. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all of these things, they will fade, they will go. And at the end of the age will stand this man, glorified above every other, beautiful beyond comprehension, overwhelming in every possible way and attribute about him and we will be wowed we will be mesmerized we will be dazzled by him forever forever and ever and ever and he will stand alone as the one that is supreme the one is ultimate at the end of the age but even now those of us who bear the spirit you don't have to wait until the end of the age to be confronted by him um, you know that in a very real way right now, one of the jealousies of this divine work that's happening on the inside, one of the fiery jealousies that being consumed, overtaken, possessed by the Holy Spirit right here, right now, one of those jealousies is to continually, consistently unveil the beauty of this man can you see jesus this is one of the precious works of the spirit on the inside can you see him because to those of us that have caught in a glimpse we've caught a glimpse we've seen him you realize that he is exalted above every other He's not just some cartoon story. He's not just some fairy tale that's bound up in a book. But he's alive and his heart is on fire and he's glorified. And his voice is like the sound of a multitude of rushing waters. And you realize that even in a glimpse what you are captured by, what you are captivated with, what becomes then your fascination, your obsession, even in what you are able to lay hold of in beholding in a glimpse, you understand that the enormity, he is massive, he is grand, he is majestic, he is everything. And even in this glimpse, even in this glimpse, he is worth everything. And seeing him puts a demand on our life. Seeing him places a demand upon our heart. Seeing him establishes this requirement 
that in seeing him, you just cannot go about him in any casual way that you may suppose, right? right? This was one of the beauties of the tribe of Levi. They established that God was worthy of a certain life. He was worthy of a certain attention. He was worthy of a certain approach. Um, These Levi's were the protectors of the presence. They established that God was uncommon and that you could not just treat him any way that you wanted to, but that there was a lifestyle of pursuit. There was a lifestyle of engaging the presence that had to be done in a way that regarded God altogether as holy. That you are not casual. We just can't treat you however we want to. But in seeing you and approaching you, the way that we have become so deeply impacted by you, um, it has changed the game, if you want to put it that way. It has changed the game. And now I just can't do whatever I want to do because you're not like anybody else and you're not like everything else. And if I'm going to come, I have to come right. And if I'm going to linger, then there's a requirement that you have. And there was a difference between presence and what was profane. And the Levites gave us a beautiful ongoing picture of how to live life in presence. And as we, as we consider the eve of 40 days, um, we're going to look in Psalm 69. And we're going to read some things that absolutely, um, they just really rattle my heart and they wreck my life. Um, I say it all the time. Now, you wouldn't know that because I don't say it to you all the time. But I say all the time. Um, to those who are close to me. Um, And now there's going to be trouble because if some consider themselves to be close to me and they've never heard what I'm about to say, then are they really close? Like, I, you know, I just, I I get it. There's just trouble in everything. Um, But I I say often in considering jumping into 40s, uh, and, and hear this, please, if you are, if you are journeying and if you are beginning, and I understand that there's time zone differences and, and all of those things. So especially if you're in a place that is uh, very much so um, crossing over by way of time difference where we are um, into the 40 days, you are never guaranteed another one. You're not. Um, and these words should be sobering and yet provoking. You're never guaranteed another one. There's something holy about giving our yes to the Lord. There's something very holy about looking deeply into the face of Jesus and saying, you're worth it and you're worth it again. And if you give me the opportunity, if you provide me with the privilege, here I come one more time. I'll say yes to you. If you're looking for somebody that's determined your worth. And we may not be able to fathom it in its entirety, but I have enough of its consideration to know this. Look no more. You don't have to keep searching. If you're looking for somebody that has a yes, here I am. If you're looking for somebody that thinks you're worth it, here I am. If you're looking for somebody that's, 
that's housing this painful ache on the inside that says, I want you. If you're looking for somebody that wants you, I want you. You know, he waits to be wanted. (laughs) He waits to be wanted because he understands his worth. And he waits to be wanted. He has desire in him that's searching throughout the earth. Is there any heart that's really mine? Right? This is what the scriptures testify to. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, seeking after a heart that is wholly his, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or fully his. That there's no... There's no division. There's no compartmentalization. There's no this little bit for Jesus and this much for the world. There's no, well, I'll love him enough to get what I want, but I still want to have the compartments of my heart that belong to me that can be given over to the things that I want. There's no battle in the appetites for what we're hungering after. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a heart. Listen to this and let these words seize your heart in your life in the consideration of crossing over into the adventure tomorrow of beginning 40 days, 40 days that potentially will make you a different person on the other side of those days. Um, That's a great business opportunity for however much of your life you still have to live. 40 days that will give you a return on that investment to change the rest of the days that you have to live. 40 days that will make you a different person on the other side. 40 days that will radically transform you to where you are something different and those 40 days will create an effect on every other day that God gives you to live. 40 days in light of the rest of your life. And the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro. And they're searching the earth looking for a heart that belongs to him. Looking for a heart that says, yes, Lord, I know that you are mine, but I want to be yours. And if you help me, if you give me grace, if you provide the means and the power, I will give myself to you. For I've decided that there are none other in the world that are worth this yes. And I've determined, oh yes, this is a calculated response. I've counted the cost. I've weighed all of my options. I've looked every other in the face and still come to this conclusion. I want you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. And I consider time and time again on the eve of a 40. Here we go again. But not just here we go again, for no one is making you. Not here we go again as if this is some sort of punishment. Not here we go again as if it's just something you have to try your hardest to bear so that you can get what you really want. Not here we go again as if the means creates this suffering and you just have to try to endure as best as you know how. No, 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 this is not the way and this is not the way that it should be considered. Here we go again. I get to do it again. Because you're not promised another opportunity. Right? At least this is what James says. 
to think about what you'll do a year from now or sometime in the future is actually the pride of man. It's arrogance. It's our own boast to believe that we rule our own lives and that we are in more control than we think we are. For life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's a breath and it gets caught up in the wind. For we don't know what tomorrow will hold. That's the boast of man. It's the pride. It's our own arrogance. Our seeking for independence from the rule and the governing of God. For you alone, O Lord, are the one that rules and reigns. And you are in control. And we look to you. You're never promised another one. You're never guaranteed another opportunity. So here we sit on the eve, on the verge of entering into the experience together of 40 days of giving our yes to Jesus and a longing on the inside for radical alignment. A painful ache on the inside for radical alignment. To be regarded as those who are radically aligned to God and radically aligned to his purpose in our hour of history. To know in a restful confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is mine and I am his and my life has been synchronized. I am in harmony with God and what he is doing. And I want to be a good steward of those things. And you're never guaranteed another opportunity to say yes to him this way. And we just know that to be true. And so in Psalm 69, we are going to read a couple of these verses. And it's a Psalm of David. And there's something that we have to consider in light of the handful of verses that we're going to read. Uh, we could call it the necessary frame to interpret well the language that David is using. You could call it a filter, since filters are so, um, they're just so ready and they're so normal in our moment. But David has one jealousy. David has one burden. I'm not saying that he's not burdened by many things, but there is one burden that dominates his life. There is a singular pursuit that has brought every other conversation that pertains to David into a specific alignment. David would say in Psalm 27, there's one thing that I care about. You can have everything else. You can scrap it. You can trash it. If there's a bunch of options on the table and there's only one thing that I get to choose, let me tell you what I'm going to be about. This is what's going to define my life. I want him. This one thing I ask, and this is what I will seek. I want to be in your house. I want to see your face. I want to consistently and deeply behold you. And then I want to learn how to live in and from this place for the rest of my life. In your house, to see you rightly, 
to gaze deeply and consistently and then to live by way of beholding. This is all I care about. You can have everything else, but if, because if I don't get this right, nothing else can be right. Nothing else can be right if this is not right. It's a singular pursuit. It's the one thing that's gonna define me. It's all I care about and it's what my life is going to be burdened by and defined by. This is it forever. David has one thing that he says that is the main thing and it then creates the right way to view every other thing. There's one thing that's the main thing that creates the lens to see and interpret well and interact with every other thing. And if we don't get this, that David has something because of someone that he has been burdened by, then we will not get the right level of gravity in the statements that David is making here. Um, because David is carrying a very real tension in his life. And it's more than just a tension emotionally. It's more than just a little bit of static, um, you know, that how he feels it in some way or another. It's way more than that. David's entire life has been inconvenienced because of what he has defined as his passion. Um, David has turned his life over to God. He's given himself to the Lord. He has seen something in God and in his desires. And he will not give his life any rest until he builds in the earth what it is that he knows God is after. Right? This is what he says in Psalm 132. Until I have what it is that I know God wants, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my own life. Um, this, is, this is actually mind-boggling. Um, David says, I know what he wants. Right? I, I know what he wants. But it's just not by way of information and simple acknowledgement alone. Right? Because again... We're all very aware that knowing what God wants and being fully given over to that what that you know God wants is at times a very different conversation. You can know exactly what the Lord is saying. You can know what he wants, but then you can also equally at the same time be doing your own thing and be fully given over to what you want. Um, this is not what David is saying. David is saying, I know what he wants, and I want it too. Here's the difference maker, right? This is what draws the line in the sand. It's what makes this crowd super thin in how many people actually end up in this conversation. The crowd gets super narrow whenever this is the only way in. When the only way in is, yes, Lord, I know what you want, but I want it too, and I'm willing to give the rest of my life and everything that I have in the pursuit of building in the earth what it is that I know you're after, this is where the crowd slims. But this is where David is at. David even says, I will give no sleep to my eyes. 
right? I'll be inconvenienced in whatever way I have to, right? This is not, I know what God wants and now it's just gonna be super easy for me to align. Now it's just gonna be really convenient for me to synchronize my life with God's will, with his purpose. I know that God has desires, but that, you know, those desires, they really don't disrupt much of what I have going on. They don't require that much change. They don't require any adjustments. You know, I can kind of do what I'm doing and keep steamrolling with my own plans and still find myself fulfilling everything that God wants. That's not the conversation that David has created. David realizes that there's a cost. He realizes there's a price to pay because he realizes that there's a bunch of other ways to live. And you do too. Um, you understand that there's a bunch of ways to live. There's even a bunch of ways to live and to call yourself a Christian, right? Culturally, we can call ourselves Christians because we attend meetings, give in offerings, pray before meals. But those things, just because they may be some things that are culturally accepted as a way to bring definition to what the world would say a Christian looks like, those things alone are not when in light of the scriptures or even Jesus's jealousy and his way of defining what a Christian actually means in real substance as the way that he defines it, those things alone, um, they don't get the job done. Uh, they don't get the job done. Um, but real disciples to Jesus are those that obey him. Real disciples are those that obey him. They know that he is king and he is Lord. They know that their lives have been brought beautifully subject to him and his rule by way of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their lives are constantly seeking to bring us to a place of greater surrender where we can offer more of our yes to this man that our lives have been surrendered to and brought subject to his rule in our hearts. These are what Jesus considers to be believers. These are what Jesus would consider to be Christians. These are Christians. Those who live their lives subject to him as king. And in that, uh, this is the conversation that David has created. His life has been inconvenienced because of what he knows God wants. But has yours. Because again, uh, we can adopt a language. We can post memes. Um, we can wear the right merch. Um, we can do all of these things and yet seek to rule our own lives. Seek to govern our own life. We can say, I love you, Jesus, with my lips and even sing the right songs. And yet deeply seated in our own heart, the I is still enthroned above every other. And so long as I can have it my way, I will love Jesus my way. But this is not what Jesus says. Those that love me will be those who obey me. Um, he's not looking for compliance. He's looking for surrender. And the two are very different.
you can do what you know you're supposed to do for a variety of reasons, sometimes out of fear of punishment. Um, sometimes out of fear of punishment, uh, right? Some of us do things at our job that we don't really like, but we do them because we don't want to get fired, right? I, I need this job. I got to pay these bills, right? And so the motive is the fear of losing the job or the position or the pay structure, um, but you're not really necessarily surrendered to it and fully invested in it. You're not giving your heart to it. Um, here we find some of the differences. Compliance is not the same thing as surrender, right? And so you may comply with certain things for fear of consequences or the incentives unto benefits, right? You're incentivized by certain things. And so you're interested in the benefits, not necessarily surrendering to a person or the design or the process so much so as being incentivized by what really has captured your heart's motivations. Uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons that you can do right, but deeply seated in the throne of our own heart and life. There exists the eye. And the eye has never laid down because the eye has never been joyfully conquered. The eye has not yet been surrendered. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But David's life is being greatly inconvenienced. And he's willing to bear it because of the one to whom he is bearing it for. David understands that he has given his yes to the Lord. This is so important. He's given his yes to the Lord. And he realizes that anything that is associated with that yes is worth it. Not because the means is worth it. Not because the process is worth it. Not because the applause of a person or a crowd is worth it. Not because the opinions of spheres or opportunities or relationships are worth it. But because Jesus is worth it. The yes is worth it. And this is what David has been taken over by. And this is where we begin in Psalm 69. You could call all of that an introduction to Psalm 69. Um, and in Psalm 69, David begins with several verses as to how he is feeling it. He is going through it. Um, he, he's, as he references, he's in deep waters. Um, he feels fully immersed, baptized. He's in the deep end of the consequences of bearing a particular reproach or burden because of the call that is on his life, because of his yes that he's given over to the Lord. He is feeling it. This isn't some yes that you can give and then be exempt from the consequences or any real price or penalty. David is going through it and he is trying his best to communicate out of that burden again of bearing the yes well and the consequences of that. He is trying to communicate, to express what is actually happening in his life because of what he's going through. And he says, man, I'm in deep waters. I'm just, I'm just in it right now and I'm deep in it and I'm feeling it because it's actually happening. It's not pretend. 
Again, I'm not being protected from the consequences. I'm actually going through it and I'm feeling it. And it is real. Oh, so real right now. And let me tell you about it. He says, I'm weary from crying. Whew. He says, my throat is parched and my eyes fail as I wait for God. He says, there are those who hate me without cause. He says, I'm misunderstood and I'm misrepresented because of the way that I've given my yes to you. Uh, let me just tell you, if you're not ready to deal with critics and haters and assassins, um, then you may not actually make it that far in your yes for the Lord. There's just something about giving your yes to the Lord and living in a faithful way in light of the invitation that he's given to you that just seems to bring out all kinds of critics and haters and people that misrepresent you because they misunderstand you and they want to assassinate you because of the yes that they see you living and because they don't get it, they're out to get you. This is what David is saying. There are many that hate me without cause. Uh, but what David is also not doing is he's not running around trying to correct the public opinion. He's not running around trying to put out every fire. He's not running around trying to better align because of all of the assumptions and the misunderstandings. David is not doing any of that. He's responding to the Isaiah 53 invitation. Come and die with me. Like a lamb before the shears, he was silent and he said not a word. Because it was God's pleasure to crush him. I don't like the way that sounds, probably just as much as you don't like the way that sounds. But David was responding to the invitation the right way. Like a lamb before the shears, he was silent. Um, there are some seasons where faithfulness looks like bearing reproach in silence. You don't have to vindicate yourself. You don't have to run around making sure everybody gets it. You don't have to run around making everybody happy and trying to satisfy all of their assumptions and their misrepresentations. You don't have to run around trying to correct the, or correct the idea or the image in everybody's mind's eye so that you can make sure while you treading lightly with everybody else being okay. No, 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 no. There's one person that I want to make sure is okay, and it's Jesus. And there are some seasons where like a lamb led before the shears, he was silent. And the Lord's invitation is come and die with me. But Lord, do you hear what they're saying? I hear them. But they said similar things to me. But Lord, they're trying to misrepresent me and they're trying to assassinate me. I understand. They did it to me too. And the invitation in some seasons is in silence. Can you just keep your face consistently face to face with mine. I know you hear them, but can you hear me? I know you see them and their advances and onslaughts and attacks, but come and die with me. Can you find this place of the fellowship of his sufferings? Can you find this sweet invitation to go low and to humble yourself before the Lord? 
Can you die and dine with him? For he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. And there is feasting because there is fellowship. And there is wine and dine with him as we go low with him to join him in the fellowship of his sufferings. David is communicating that he is going through it. Um, But he is victorious for he knows that the one who has overcome is with him. And David comes down and in verse 7, again, because the first six verses, he's communicating out of the tension, all of the wrestling because of the yes that he's given to the Lord. And we get there, we get there. And in verse 7, we arrive. And David says, because for your sake, I have bore reproach. Hear this. It's not for anybody else. And if you're doing it for somebody else, you ain't really doing it for a reason that's worth it. I'm telling you, their opinion ain't really worth it as much as you think it is. The invitation to be a part of a particular stream or sect or group or crowd or to ride with a certain tribe, it's not really worth it the way that you think it's worth it. It's not sustainable. There's no actual reward for it because they're not going to be the ones that stand at the end of the age to give approval to the yes that you gave. There will be one that will be exalted above every other and it will be Jesus And David says, because of you, I now bear this reproach. It's because of you. It's because of the way that you've touched me. It's because of what you've done in me. It's because you won't actually let me go. You won't leave me alone. What you're doing in me and the way that you just keep coming after me Even in times, like we stated, where my heart is prone to wander, where I'm enticed or attracted or persuaded to go my own way or to find something else to go, something else to do. It's you. You are the one that won't leave me alone. And David says, because of you, I bear this reproach. David realizes that it's all because of you. It's all because of you, Lord. It is because of God, what has happened in my life and what is now happening in and through my life. It is all because of the Lord. And David says, it's because of you that I actually bear this. And then he continues. Um, Dishonor has covered my face. Listen to some of the consequence. I've become estranged from my brothers. I'm an alien to my mother's sons, right? This is a people. He says, I no longer have a place where I belong because of what you've asked me to say yes to. I've been ostracized. I've been, ex- I've been excommunicated. I've been cast out. I no longer have a place where I belong. This yes that I am giving to you is inconveniencing me on a variety of levels, but I have determined that you are worth it. And then in verse 9, we find the source, right? Zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. let's, Let's actually make very simple what David is saying here. 
David is saying, I know what you want and I want it too. And my life has now been aligned with what you want and what you are doing. There is now a direct association with you and what you are doing that my life has been grafted into. I've been aligned. I've been synchronized. We are in harmony. There is an identification that those that hate you and what you're doing now hate me and what I'm doing because I'm not doing my own thing for my own name, but I am doing your thing for your name because what you want, I want, and I've given my whole life over to making sure that I just don't acknowledge that, that I just don't amend that, that I just don't have that by way of information, but there's now association and identification because there's been real alignment and those who bring reproach to you now bring reproach to me because this zeal for your house it has consumed me it has overtaken me it now defines me man this is amazing it is amazing but he doesn't stop there um, and you're probably wondering what any of this has to do with the way that I started about entering into a 40-day experiential adventure with Jesus. And we find where we will sort of hang our hat in the next verse or two. That's verse 10 and 11. Listen to these words. And again, I keep looking down because I have... My Bible that I'm reading from, I just looked at my iPad here to realize it probably looks a little funny. In verse 10, he says, When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. In verse 11, he says, When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. And those who sit in the gate talk about me. And I've become the song of the drunks. Um, there's a variety of translations, and it says it many ways for verse 10. One of the ways is it says, when I fasted and wept, there was a chastening that came upon my soul. And your reproach became my reproach. Hear that. When I fasted and wept, right in Psalm 35, he would say, I humbled my soul with fasting. Psalm 35, 13. David says, something happened to me when I began to fast. What was happening in my heart began to come out of my face. He says there was fasting and weeping. Sometimes with what the Lord is doing on the inside, it begins to reveal itself on the outside. Right? David says something was happening in my heart, but it began to come out of my face. I couldn't help but weep. But he says there was something not only that happened, but what was your reproach became my reproach. There was something very personal 
that happened to David as he entered in to fasting and praying. He says there was weeping. He says there was burden bearing. He says there was a reproach that belonged to the Lord that because of what happened to him and in him, it became my reproach. It was very personal. And I'm believing that over these next 40 days, as we journey together, again, in this experiential adventure of fasting and praying, because again, we're not just turning from meals. We are turning intentionally and intimately to Jesus. And one does not guarantee the other. Meaning, just because you miss a lot of meals does not also mean that you are intentionally and intimately turning to Jesus. You can turn from one and not always necessarily turn to the other. But so when we turn to Jesus over these next 40 days, in what I am saying is this experiential adventure, I'm believing that one of the things that's going to happen is that it's going to get really personal. I believe that it's going to get super deep and really personal. Um, I believe that one of the things that's going to happen is that what God does in your heart, not only is it going to begin to come out of your face and out of your eyes. Again, David entered into fasting and fasting produced weeping, fasting and weeping. I wept in my soul and fasted. Uh, but, but I believe, man, that like what God is doing, that it's going to touch your heart. And when he touches your heart, it's going to break wide and break forth out of your face. <laughs> When's the last time you wept before the Lord? Over the consideration of what he wants. And at times, the vast chasm of how different what he wants is from what you know you want. You see, this is the space where it doesn't really matter the image that we uphold. It doesn't really matter what kind of influence we're able to garner. Um, it, none, of, none of those things matter because none of those things matter in light of the conversation that I'm having right now. At times, there is a known difference. There is a wide space. There's a gap between what we know he wants and at times, what we know what we want. There's a space. And I'm believing that over these next 40 days, because again, radical alignment, where we are radically aligned to God himself as a real person, and then radically aligned to his purpose in our hour of history. Not one or the other. Not, well, I want to do a bunch of things for him, but not actually be radically aligned to him. Um, in speaking, uh, I'm trying to think about how I want to say what I want to say in a phone conversation yesterday with someone that I consider to be a brother, we were talking about Levites and he said to me, I'm more than troubled. I have this fear of God. The fear of the Lord has gripped me to know that he can use me and not have me. He can use me and still not have me. 
Um, we, we know this, right? Even if we contrast, let's say, David's life with Saul's life. Saul said yes to the throne, but never said yes to the Lord. We know it. He can use you, but not have you. And in the consideration of not just being aligned to his purpose, fulfilling ministry, doing a lot of things that we think are important, doing a lot of things that get a lot of applause from crowds or likes or follows. Man, who cares if at the end of the day we know that he doesn't actually have us? He doesn't actually have me. I may surrender to a lot of things that I want, but I've not actually surrendered to him. I may be in it because I'm motivated for a lot of other things. There's a lot of other incentives. I can say yes to breakthrough, to influence, to money, to stature, to power, to politics, to fame, to all of these things that at times I may be incentivized by, motivated by, satisfied by, because the eye on the inside is what matters most. Um, at times there's a space, there's a gap. So I just don't want to be radically aligned to his purpose. I want to be radically aligned to him as a real person. And I believe that one of the things that's going to happen is that on the inside, what is his is going to be known as mine. David says, when I wept and fasted, what was yours became mine. It became really personal. It became really personal. Man, he touched me and did something. And now I just can't do whatever I want to do. I just can't go anywhere or do anything. He did something to me. He changed something on the inside. I saw something. I've been captured by someone. I've been joyfully conquered. And now what's his is mine because what's mine is his. What was yours, Lord, became mine. And now it's personal. Now I identify. Now it is mine because there's an association. Now I've been integrated in because I've been aligned. And what's yours is mine. Listen to these words. When I fasted, I wept. And when I wept, what was yours became mine. Um, I'm believing, man, that God is going to touch you. And that as he touches you, something really deep and super personal is going to transpire. Not just this, oh yeah, it's great for everybody kind of stuff. But there's an experiential encounter. There is a confrontation because there is an intersection that awaits us because of the way that Jesus is making himself available to us. And there is going to be something that happens in your heart. David says, um, Lord, this yes is for you. Right? That's where we started. This yes is for you. It's created a bunch of inconvenience. I'm willing to bear it in whatever way. Every cost has been counted. 
Yes, there's a lot of pain. I know that there's very real processes. I've counted your worth. I've said yes to you. You are worth it every step of the way. I'll continue to bear it well. One of the ways that I do that is I fast and pray and weep and in humility and in the tenderness of knowing the fellowship of your suffering, I'll continue to bear what you're doing the way you're doing it because my yes is for you and one thing that actually happened to me is what's yours is mine because I see my life in your story and what you are doing, my life is now a part of that because my life is not my own. I've given it to you. Um, I believe that it's gonna get real and personal over these next 40 days and it is necessary. We want radical alignment. Radical alignment. Um, and so this is how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that in light of the things that we have just been talking about, that the Lord would invite you to meet him. That he would invite you to journey with him. Again, 40 days that can, in a very real way, possibly change every other day on the other side. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth every yes. He's worth every process. He's worth every season. He's worth every tear. He's worth every ounce of sorrow and suffering. He's worth the pain. But that's not to say that it's limited to these things alone because we realize that it's both and. Right at times, there's unique sorrow, but then there's also unique celebration, that there's agony and ecstasy. We get it, it's both and, and they're not mutually exclusive. It's not like, well, there's only one and then the other comes. No, at times it's, it's mind-boggling because they're deeply woven into each other in the experience of what the yes is or the process presents. And, and if you've been, then you know. Ecstasy and agony. Agony and ecstasy. It's both. But he, he's worth it. And so in light of these things, we're praying for you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.